You may be seated. Well, good morning, and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 121. It's also printed in your bulletins as well. Psalm 121. And as you're turning, let me pray for our time together. So, Lord, we give you great thanks for this time of worship. Thank you for this beautiful weather, and thanks that you have called us together in your name. And I pray that you would strengthen us through your word, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, challenge and convict us where we need to be challenged and convicted. But I do pray that you would strengthen us, that we would see more of your character, and that it would bring a light to our hearts. Help us in our minds to truly grasp what you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And together, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So Psalm 121 is part of a group of 15 psalms, Psalms 120 through 134, known as the Songs of Ascent, or could be translated the Songs of Going Up. So before we dive into Psalm 121, I want us to consider the backdrop to this psalm, the historical time and the place. And this history is important because this is our history. This is our story. This is the one true story of the world that makes sense of our lives as well. And it's been said, the more you understand the Old Testament, the closer that you come to the heart of Jesus. And so this morning, I want us to consider the Old Testament, this historical backdrop to the Psalms of Ascent. But I want to do this with four words, and I want to do this briefly. Israel, temple, exile, and longing. So, again, brief history, but this history is important. Because it's our history and it sets up the context for Psalm 121. First word, Israel. It all started with Adam and Eve. Life was perfect. Genesis 1 and 2, it was so good until Genesis 3. And then not so good. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They were exiled from the garden. They had kids. But those through those descendants, sin continued to spiral out of it control, so much so that God brought judgment by way of a flood. But he rescued one man, Noah, and his family to start over. But this time it was through Noah's descendants that there was this tragic incident called the Tower of Babel. And by incident, I mean humanity foolishly rebelling against God's good command for them to spread the glory of God across the face of the earth. But instead, they sought to hunker down, 
build a tower to the heavens for their own glory, for their own namesake. So what God did was confuse their common language into multiple languages, thereby spreading them out into nations across the face of the earth. But then God called one man, Abraham, and makes a covenant. And for time's sake, think of covenant as a promise on steroids. He makes this promise to Abraham that through Abraham's descendants, they will become a great nation, the Israelites. And God will bless them so that they will be a blessing to the nations. And sure enough, God's covenant promises come true. The Israelites grow to be this great nation under the leadership of Moses. And Moses explains to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 7, listen to these words. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So God set his very love on the Israelites, his treasured possession. And they called him to be set apart, to be holy. They called, God calls them to worship them, or to worship him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This brings us to the second word, temple. The, t- the temple was designed by God, but constructed by the Israelites as the place in Jerusalem, on the Mount of Zion, the place to worship God. If you could go back in time and ask an Israelite, why was the temple so special? Honestly, they'd probably look at you funny. And then they'd say something along the lines of, this is where God's presence dwells with his people. This is where we gather for worship. This is where we confess our sins. This is where we receive his forgiveness and his grace and mercy. We center our whole lives on this temple. But God's people failed to worship God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in fact, they continue to turn to the false gods of other nations. This brings us to the third word, exile. As God's people were continually rebelling against him, and dabbling in the idol worship of the pagan nations around them, God continued to warn them through the prophets of what was to come, but they didn't listen. So God allowed his people to be conquered, first by Assyria, who scattered the people, and then by Babylon, who exiled some of God's people, to the point where, at this point, many people were scattered among the nations or exiled in Babylon. And so, rather than God's people living up to their holy calling to be a holy and treasured nation, to be blessed so that they would be a blessing to the nations and a light to the nations around them. At the end of the Old Testament, many of God's people are now dispersed, displaced. Some are living in Jerusalem, but some are living among the pagan nations. This brings us to our fourth word, longing. God's people were longing for God to fill, fulfill his covenant promises in Genesis 12, 
to Abraham, that they would again be a nation, a great nation gathered together in the promised land with God's blessing and his presence dwelling with them. And this is the backdrop to Psalms 120 through 134, these Psalms of Ascent. And if you read through these Psalms, you'll find various themes that include the longing, longings for peace and security in Jerusalem rather than oppression, for joy and laughter rather than weeping, and for this prophesied son of David to rule over them rather than the oppressive and wicked nations around them. So most likely, the Psalms of Ascent would have been sung by devout Jews as they made their journey from their places, their homes among the pagan nations, to the hills of Jerusalem and to the temple for the annual feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and the Day of Atonement. By way of imagery here, this may not be a great comparison, actually it probably isn't, but picture an influx of people for an annual state fair from all over the region, plus temple worship, minus funnel cakes and corn dogs. Likely, Joseph and Mary, along with Jesus, would have made this trip singing these psalms. Jesus and his disciples would have times entered Jerusalem singing these songs as well. But as we know, there were no real roads as we know them, just well-worn paths across valleys and over mountain passes. And many of these pilgrims would travel for days. You can imagine weary pilgrims with their kids behind them, are we there yet? Are we there yet? No kids. We're still about 30,000 steps away, right? But imagine, just imagine their excitement when over the hills of Judah they would see Jerusalem come into sight. And this brings us to verses 1 and 2. The psalmist declares, I lift up my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So this pilgrim lifts his eyes to the hill and he asks, where does my help come from? Now, as he mentions the hills, that could be a reference to the hills along the journey where it was known that robbers, thieves would hang out, hide. But more likely, what the psalmist has in mind is the hills of Jerusalem and Mount Zion where the temple is built in particular. But even beyond that, what the psalmist has in mind is the God of those hills and of this city. And the psalmist asked the question, where does my help come from? And here's his answer. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I want to pause here because this is a profound question. From where does our help come? And how do we answer that question? And I don't mean it just necessarily in our head. Like, we know the answer. The church answer would be God, Jesus, right? The Trinity. But how do we practically answer this question in our own lives? Where do we turn to in our times of trouble? What do we look to? Because God's people throughout history are always living in troubled times. The troubles just change, and they vary. But right now, every day on the news... We hear and we see fear and anger and sadness revolving around the, pan- the pandemic, politics, race, natural disasters, and not to mention 
all the struggles and anxiety of our own lives? And do we lift our eyes to the Lord as our helper? Do we pray? And I mean, do we really pray and ask for his help? Or do we choose other paths? Do we look to escapes to check out or to numb our emotions? Those escapes are, uh, can be endless in our lives. Just to name a few, social media, right? Netflix, uh, Netflix. Alcohol, during a pandemic, alcohol is on the rise. There's so many other forms, escapes that we just might run to. And all the while, do we neglect prayer? And do we neglect the word of God? Do do we give ourselves over to anger and just to cut at people, whether it's in our minds or in conversations or on our keyboards, rather than neglecting love? Do we give ourselves over to fear, neglecting the very power and the promises of God? So Psalm 121 points us in the right direction. I lift my eyes. Where does my hope come from? My hope comes from the Lord. And this is a loaded statement when the psalmist goes on to say, maker of heaven and earth. See, this psalmist knows the scriptures. He knows the history and the significance of this Lord. This is the one true God. This is the powerful God who created the heavens and the earth and also displayed his power throughout history, specifically with Egypt as he brought on plagues, parted the Red Sea, This is also a personal God who draws near to his people in help. This is the personal and powerful God who shepherds his people. Psalm 121 uses the word keep or watch over six times in eight verses. This is shepherd language. And how does God shepherd his people? He leads, he protects, he blesses. Think of Psalm 23, the way he leads. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And he protects. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he blesses. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just think of the vantage point that we now have on these psalms, whether it's Psalm 121 or 23 that I was just quoting. We see clearly from our vantage point as we open the pages of the New Testament that God sent help, and by help I mean capital H-E-L-P, Namely, Jesus. He is our good shepherd. Listen to what Jesus says of himself in John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So our normal practice, we'll break this sermon up into two. And right now, we'll pause the sermon, sing a couple of songs. But as we do, I want us to reflect on the significance of verses 1 and 2. Lift my eyes, and where does my hope come from? My hope comes from the Lord. And for us to reflect on that and to recognize that, in fact, God did send help 
his very son as that help. Let's stand to sing in Christ alone. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still when striving cease my comforter my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, the fullness of God in hell is this gift of love and righteousness. Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine. Bought by the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. And this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first bride to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man Can ever pluck me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home And here in the power of Christ I stand Here in the power of Christ I stand next song we're singing is a new one to us this morning so we'll sing the first verse two times so we can get the hang of it it goes like this all praise to him the god of life who formed the mountains by his might all praise to him who names the stars 
that sing his fame in skies afar. All praise to him who reigns in love, who guides the galaxies above, yet bends to hear our every prayer with sovereign power and tender Praise to Him, the God of life. All praise to Him, the God of light, who formed the mountains by His might. All praise to Him, who names the stars that sing His name in skies afar. All praise to Him, who reigns in love, who guides the galaxies above, yet bends to hear our every prayer with sovereign power and tender care. All praise to Him whose love is seen in Christ the Son, the servant King, who left behind His glorious throne to pay the ransom for His own. All praise to Him who humbly came to bear our sorrow, sin, and shame, who lived to die, who died to rise, sufficient sacrifice all praise to him whose power imparts the love of God within our hearts the spirit of all truth and peace the fount of joy and holy Father, Son, and Spirit, now our souls we lift, our wills we bow to You, the Triune God, we raise with loving hearts our song of praise. To Father, Son, and Spirit, now our souls we lift, our wills we bow to You. Triune God, we raise with loving hearts our song of praise. You can be seated. In verses one and two. The psalmist, the pilgrim, has this internal dialogue where he says, I lift up my eyes to the hill, and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Then in verses 3 through 8, this dialogue goes outward, as this is speaking to fellow pilgrims. So as I read verses 3 through 8, I want you to pay special attention to the word keep. Verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. 
The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So as I mentioned earlier, there's a particular word that shows up six times in these eight verses. And in the Hebrew, the word is shamar, which the ESV would translate keep. Or NIV could be watch over. And this word has the sense of to guard, to protect, to preserve, to tend to carefully. And so the dominant theme of this psalm is God's protective presence. And we see this theme of protection in the promises that are made. That the, the psalmist promises that the Lord will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber or sleep. The Lord is your shade. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So I want us to consider these promises this morning and what it means for us. First in verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. This is language of slipping off the path and falling to ruin. The question is, where does the psalmist have the confidence that God will protect his people through all troubles and hardships and disappointments? And the answer is in verses 3 and 4. That he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. See, the Lord always keeps watch. He does not grow weary. He does not get tired. To be a little lighthearted, but uh, hopefully to make a point, let me put it this way. If we were to eavesdrop on the Trinity, the conversations among the Trinity for a day, we would never hear anything close to the following in the morning. Oh, rats, I hope my people didn't need me because I totally overslept. Or in the afternoon, wow, lots of prayers going up. My people really need me, but I really need a nap. Or in the evening, there's a lot of, the, of, of my people crying out to me. But wow, I'm just really tired and just going to turn in for the night. Right? No, the Trinity does not oversleep in the morning does not take naps in the afternoon, does not turn in early in the evening. Let me ask this question. What are the worries that can cause you to lose sleep? I'll give you a few seconds. What are the worries that if you're going to lose sleep, these are the things that you would worry about? What are they? So as you think of those, do you take comfort in the fact that God is not sleeping either. I have taken so much encouragement from this over the years that behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God is always at work. He is always at work. And then verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Okay, so for the youth here, I recognize that the term throwing shade has a negative connotation, right? It's criticizing or being rude, but in this context, throwing shade is actually a good thing. 
Verse 5 says, The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The idea there is in the similar way that, um, that a person's shadow is always with them. The Lord is always with his people. And then in verse 6, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. What the psalmist is really after here, in figurative language, using the sun and the moon, is that nothing can harm God's people by day or by night. So our question in this human experience, is that true? Let's take that question of verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And again, that question is, does this always feel true? That the Lord keeps his people from all evil and from harm? It doesn't always feel true in a fallen world where sin and evil are all around us. So is this psalm saying that we should never experience hardships? No. The psalm acknowledges that we need help. It acknowledges that there is evil in the world. It acknowledges that we need to be watched over. So what is the truth here? Whether we feel it or not, what does the psalmist want us to get in our guts? And it's this. The point of Psalm 121 is not that we'll have a trouble-free life, but that God will always be with us and keep us eternally safe and secure no matter what comes our way. He is always with us. He is always at work. I like what one commentator has to say about these verses. He says this, The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers, Citizens under the same governments pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know that we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God, and therefore no matter what doubts we endure, or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. There's a great New Testament companion to this psalm. Romans 8, 35 through 39, carries the same theme of the Lord as our keeper. Paul asks, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul asked the question, what could, sep- what could, what could separate us from the love of God? In his answer, essentially as he sums up just about everything in the universe, is this. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Here's how the psalm ends. Verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out 
and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is comprehensive in its scope of protection. The psalmist is declaring that the Lord is with you everywhere you go from this time right now and forevermore. So this psalm is about the journey of the pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem. But it's also a good representation of the Christian life. As we are on a pilgrimage in exile to the new heavens and new earth where we long to be gathered with God and his people. But it's not an easy trek. We must keep our eyes on the Lord, knowledge that we need help, trust the promises that he will keep watch. And again, this doesn't mean that we won't suffer, but that God will not lose his protective grip on us. And I want to end with just one last illustration. So I have three boys, one girl. When my kids were really little, we'd play this game that everyone loved. I called it Protect the Princess. We'd go downstairs to our carpeted area in the basement where we had some bean bags, and I would put Paige, my daughter, behind me. And so I was King Daddy at that point. I was the keeper, according to Psalm 121, right? And I vowed to protect her against all the forces that would come against her, namely Peyton, Quentin, and Ty. And then I'd say, all right, boys, come and get her. And they would just rush us, try to get past me, try to go through me, do everything they could to get their hands on Paige to conquer her. I'd take them, I'd throw them into the beanbags, they'd rush at me together, I'd bonk against each other and then toss them to the floor. It was great. We had a blast. All the while, Paige is behind me yelling, destroy them, daddy, destroy them, daddy. But when they would get too close, she would yell out, really anxious, Daddy, help! But I was never worried for two reasons. One, I was simply more powerful. And the other reason is I made a vow to my princess that I would protect her. And I was going to keep that vow. God also made a vow. We call it a covenant. That he would protect his people. And that he would not fail his own vow. And for us as Christians, the ultimate vow of protection is the cross. Where God sent his son to take on our sin, to take on evil, and to set us free to worship him, to walk with him, set us free, but also promised to keep us from evil. So I'm just a finite earthly father trying to protect a princess. But how about our heavenly father who is perfectly powerful, can provide for everything we need. He is perfectly wise, knows what we need, and he is perfectly good, delights to watch over us. And let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your protective presence. 
and your promises that you will not fail your people, that you will not fall asleep in our times of need, that you will keep your people from evil and that we are eternally secure by your grace through Christ. And so, Lord, we look to you for help. And in our own congregation, Lord, we have needs. Please be with Cindy Hornberger, her family and loved ones, as they grieve the loss of Steve. And thank you that they have a real and living hope. Be with Bill and Karen Vogler, their family, as they also grieve the loss of Bill's sister, Patty. Please comfort them, but also, in the midst of earthly loss, we praise you as a God who gives an eternal life that is more abundant than we can ever ask or imagine. And Lord, we lift up to you those who are battling cancer. Janelle Slater, Joel Foster, Joel Tigreen, we pray for their healing. We pray that for those who provide for their care that you would give them great wisdom in their treatments. And we pray for them and their loved ones that during this time they would look to you as their help. We pray for Matt Smith and his family as he continues to heal from his motorcycle accident. Lord, draw him, Christina, and their kids close to you in this time. And again, please give his doctors wisdom as Matt pursues recovery. And Lord, you know the things that weigh heavily on our minds. We pray for a cure for the coronavirus. We pray for the faithful churches in areas where natural disasters are happening around the world. Lord, give them opportunity to come alongside those in need, an opportunity to share the hope of the gospel. And Lord, with, ten, with, with all the tensions over race and politics, pray that you would continue to raise up Christians who embody your presence and your voice. We long for the fruits of the spirit of our world, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Help us as your people to grow in those and to live them out in the cult- culture around us. So help us, we pray, to look to you. Help us to be a people of prayer. And we do pray that you would help us to live as salt and light in the culture with the hope that we have only in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you're able to sing together. fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast and when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast I could never keep my hope through life's fearful path for my life is often cold he must hold me will hold me fast precious in his holy sight he will hold me fast he'll not let my soul be lost his promise
Of your green day. 
sermon applications was that we would be a people who pray, who really pray. We don't just think about it or talk about it, but we pray. And so we'll have elders to my right that are available for prayer. Please take advantage of that opportunity. And now, please receive this as the Lord's benediction. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. From whom all blessings flow, praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy. 